Welcome to the Unbroken Arrows Healing Through the Hunt podcast. I'm Greg and my son Trey is here with me. And we are at the 2024 National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. And we're honored to have a guest this uh, episode by the name of Tony Jones. And Tony is uh, also known as the Reverend Hunter. But uh, on his uh, Instagram page, he is profiled, describes him, he describes himself as an outdoorsman, a writer, and a theologian. So, Tony, welcome to the Unbroken Arrows podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here, guys. Oh, awesome. We're happy that uh, we could make the connection. Um, one of the um, things that you're doing here at the Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic, uh, you are presenting. And the, the title to what you are presenting is called Finding Friends to Hunt With and Land to Hunt. So if you would, please tell us a little bit about uh, that talk and discussion that you uh, are presenting here. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we can go a little bit into my backstory in a minute if you're interested, but I'll tell yes. you the nuts and bolts of the talk is just that, you know, there are a lot of us who love to hunt but don't own land. And uh, I'm all for public land. I'm, I'm a big supporter of public land. I'm a member of Pheasants Forever and Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and I've gone to my state legislature and lobbied on behalf of public land. But also, frankly, there's a lot of great hunting on private land. So my talk this weekend has been about how you um, build relationships with landowners and find places to hunt on private land. Um, and for those of us who, you know, there's there's kind of a stereotype out there that like um, you got to pay 250 bucks per right. gun per day to get on private land in South Dakota and. Surely that's, there's truth to that, uh, especially early season. And I think, you know, some landowners count that as a source of revenue. Sure. Some landowners are probably a little greedy about that or whatever. But uh, I've been hunting private land in South Dakota for 15 years, and I've never paid, not once. Okay. Um, I've just developed relationships with landowners. And, you know, I pay in other ways. I, I help them. I come out in the spring and help them plant tree belts. Uh, I've come out here with a chainsaw and walked through old established tree belts and, you know, cut branches off of Russian olive trees so that we right. can make, you know, walk, send a hunter and a dog into the tree belt in the, in the fall. Um, yeah. So there, there's a lot of different, it's like I've sent flowers to landowners before because sure. I've had a buddy say, oh, I think she'd really like a, like a Christmas centerpiece because we just shot a lot of pheasants in her slough and we've never hunted that before. And so I told the story of that um, during the talk and how we, I did, then gathered money from the fellas and sent some flowers to this, this lady and uh, she really appreciated it. So that's, I think there are ways you can do it and I'm trying to break that myth that you gotta, it, that pheasant hunting private land in South Dakota has become a, a big money affair sure. for rich guys only, sure. and that's not the case. Sure. The And we'll probably come back to this, circle back around this, and, and you talked about uh, uh, your backstory, but uh, um, one of the things that, that I wanted to, I guess, share with you is I, uh, uh, we corresponded a little bit before this, and you know that I'm a, a former teacher, retired teacher and principal, and one of the things that you mentioned that is the heart of my philosophy of working with uh, students, parents, guardians, is that it is all about relationships. And that's so very, very important. You know, a landowner 
that's their land. Yeah. And they can say yes, no, and do whatever it is that they, that they want to do with their land. But if you do the, the due diligence to develop a relationship, even, even if it doesn't end up to be something that you can, uh, land that you can hunt on, you're also developing a relationship with another human being. And that in itself is worthwhile too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I started my career as a youth pastor, so not that different from what you were doing. Sure. Uh, working with adolescents. And uh, when, you know, when I think when you're a senior pastor, uh, you spend a lot of time, oh, going to committee meetings and balancing the budget and preparing sermons and going to meet, you know, a lot of meetings, meetings, meetings. Youth pastors uh, are kind of exempt from some of that. And they're at least my senior pastor when I was a youth pastor way back in the day said, you know, your job is to just make relationships with kids. So just go do it. Do it. And kind of like, I got your back mm -hmm. on all this other, I don't want you in the office. I don't, he's like, I don't want to see you in a necktie on Sunday morning. Like <laughs> I want, he, and he's, I love this. He, I remember him. I remember vividly like where we were standing in the church. He said, I want the kids really to like you and I want the parents to like you, but I want the parents to fear you a little bit too. Like maybe you're, teaching their kids something that's <laughs> maybe a little subversive and radical like of course the gospel i mean i this is my perspective on the gospel that it's quite a subversive message um counter a counter-cultural message so uh yeah stuff like that it was it was and then it, you've, exactly you're exactly right it all comes down to relationships right your website uh is First, I'm going to say beautiful. Oh, uh, the the, the oh. photography. Well, and, my and wife's a professional photographer. <laughs> okay, that, well, that comes in handy a lot. I have the best headshot. I mean, maybe nobody buys my book, but I got a great headshot on the back cover. You know, <laughs> you're right. Um, but as an outdoorsman, what are the types of things that that uh, are you? You know, what 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 fills your bucket in terms of being that outdoorsman? Yeah, yeah. I'm a generalist for sure. I do a lot of different things. Um, my, but top of that pyramid is pheasant hunting. I'm, I'm crazy about it. Like I, I dream about it at night during the <laughs> off season. I could tell you guys about the last rooster I shot this last season that just ended. Like I, mm -hmm. I will remember that shot for the rest of the year. Um, and it will like keep my head in the game. It's, I mean, sometimes I think it's like guys who are really into golf. Sure. That's that one great shot. Oh, those guys. Are you one of those guys? <laughs> and is it like that one great shot that brings you yeah. back? Yep. Yep. Well, that's you look how it forward is. every time you go out, but you never find it again. It seems like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that <laughs> way. Of, like and, when you're and, with me, at least. Well, and it's probably the same because you go back, play the same golf course. Like I mm -hmm. go back to the same field, and I'll be like, "Man, last time there were a bunch of pheasants right there," mm -hmm. and we'll go there, and it's just like. Nothing. nothing. Yeah. And nothing. then you see a coyote run out the side. You're like, oh, that's why there's no pheasants there or whatever. <laughs> right? Um, uh, but I um, I deer hunt. I don't love it. I primarily do it for the meat. Um, we, My wife and I, we just became empty nesters. Our youngest kid just left for college. And uh, our goal is to be um, totally wild game. Like, we're going to have, we're going to not buy any meat. We're, but we're not there yet. 
right. need to shoot more than one deer right. a year <laughs> to make that happen. That takes time, right? And, and it takes time. Yeah. It takes time. And of course, once once all your kids leave the house, you have more time. I mean, I have a lot more time than I used to. And boy, the house is just blissfully quiet. I will tell you that. Right. I, I, <laughs> some parents love it. Some parents hate it. Yeah, it's yeah. true. I mean, I have friends who are my same age who are really struggling with that. But no, my wife and my wife has no kids. That's part of my story, too, is I'm married a second time. But um, and I fish. I will. T uh, this last thing I'll say is that on this is that, um, you know, I've had people tell me for years, oh, you're so into hunting. You you got a bow hunt. It's going to change your life. And then. All my angler friends are like, fly fishing. Right. And once you fly fish, you'll never bait cast again. And I'm like, you guys, I, I, I'm, I'm spread so thin already, and I don't have the money to start two sure. new expensive hobbies. Uh -huh. I'll do it once my kids are all gone. And now my kids are all gone. And so, like, I got to put my money where my mouth is. Luckily, um, you know, I, three different people have given me fly rods, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. So now I'm just putting it out there to all your listeners and that the universe will bring me a, a compound ball. Yeah. I'm sure some of you will send me a compound ball. That's a good way to go about it. It's got to yeah. happen, right? Right. On on uh, your Instagram and I think and also on your website, uh, you talk about pursuing meaning in the outdoors and our out unbroken arrows healing through the hunt is is very similar in terms of what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, it, again, our listeners know uh, a little bit about our story, but what about yours? Yeah, I, I mean, I know I listened to your episode, your first episode, where you guys talked about your story and laid that out, and I, I felt a lot of parallels. You know, um, uh, I my life was kind of clicking along like it should have, and everything seemed to be going well, um, and it all fell apart around the age of 40. I got divorced. It was a brutal, brutal marriage that took a huge toll on me, and then the divorce, like getting out of a bad marriage is even worse, and not even worse, because you're finally out, but it was, it that, that almost killed me. Um, and then a few years after that, I decided to go for full custody of my kids, which I got. But that process also mm -hmm. is a brutal sure. process. Sure it is. And it's not easy for dads. It's a really, really tall hill to climb. And so through those years of like 40 to 45, I got foreclosed on. I lost everything. You know, I lost my career because when you go through the kind of things I go through, you know, the church is great for hurting people, not so great for hurting pastors. Okay. Um, that's been my experience at least. Um, hunting, hunting was the thing. Hunting yeah. was the thing that became my like spiritual home. And when I got out hunting, not only did I feel connected with God in the, in the wilderness and in nature, but I have this incredible bond with my dog, you know? And frankly, the guys I hunted with, they did not care. Mm -hmm. They did not care about what was going on back at home. They cared for me, right? but they were like, hey, look, the, the bar was pretty low. They were like, this guy's a safe hunter. He's got a good dog, and he buys a round of beer at the, <laughs> at the, at the bar at the end at of the, the night. Day, yeah. yeah, like, that's all we really expect. It's, a, you know, and that was so refreshing to have people who cared for me but didn't want, you know, to rehash all the dirt and dirty laundry that was a part of my life. Yeah. So there were all these multiple streams of being outdoors and hunting. And then another thing I do a lot is that 
I go to the Boundary Waters, I, I, and now I lead canoe trips for pastors in the Boundary Waters. Yeah. And yeah. you know, pastors are notoriously bad at taking care of themselves, at having boundaries, and putting their phones away. Right. So to take pastors into the Boundary Waters where their phones don't even work, you know? Right. And uh, it's, they love it. They love it. It's hard for them to get away, but when they do, it's very healing. Yeah. Right. There's a, and I've shared with you, I'm Catholic, and uh, we have a family cabin in, in uh, north of Park Rapids, Minnesota, which is right uh, three miles from uh, Itasca State Park, the source of the Mississippi River. Yeah. And there's a, a little church there that I think the total number of parishioners is, are two. You know, and a few years back, they came up with this idea of a vacation package for priests, just so they could say mass there. And there, that was something that the uh, the people that stayed at Itasca State Park they were asking for. And and I thought, what a wonderful, what a wonderful opportunity um, to give somebody that you know, whether a pastor, a priest, a minister. That's a high-stress job, and uh, they need time to unwind as well. So when you talk about being able to get into the outdoors and taking those uh, canoeing and decompressing, uh, that's 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 a tremendous service. That's a tremendous opportunity for, for them. So yeah, you can almost see the. I mean, there's anxiety when we're standing at the edge of the lake, about to push those canoes in and take off, and you know. A lot. I mean, I think every single one of them, if I said, when was the last time you had no cell coverage for six days? They'd be like, I can't even remember. Like, right. when I got my first cell phone, like, you know. Six days before I got <laughs> yeah. my phone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like 20 years ago or whatever it was. I'm like, well, you know, you can use them to take pictures, I guess. But they're, a, you know, we're once we start paddling, we're, it's it. going to go from five bars down to no bars. Mm -hmm. and um, And you watch the anxiety first build. Then. And then melt away. Yeah. And uh, and I, you know, the same thing happens to me on a hunt. In fact, I've started to think, you know, it used to be like, oh, the drive, the drive from Minneapolis to central South Dakota, what a grind. You know, we get up at five in the morning and so we can be boots on the ground at 10, mm -hmm. right when, you know, best part. yeah, legal <laughs> shooting starts. And I'm, not, I'm like, now I think of the drive as like a pilgrimage. Sure. Uh-huh where you're letting that stuff fall away and you're you're talking to your hunting buddy you haven't seen in nine months you know right. and the dogs are asleep in the back mm -hmm. um you know and and it's it that becomes part of the process too part of the journey yeah, it's all too. part of it that's, yeah that's one of my favorite things like on a trip like that is the drive there yeah like you got to take that in if you don't take that in you're gonna miss but i think you're path. right i mean i think i'm oh, sorry I keep you you got you got it you got to be conscious about it you got to be con like so many things in the spiritual life, whether you're a traditionally religious person or not. I don't think it really matters so much in this aspect is that it's the consciousness of the act, like any spiritual practice, whether it's a traditional prayer, like say you're making the stations of the cross on Good Friday if you're Catholic or say if you're somebody out on a canoe trip. If you're not conscious about it, if you're just going through the motions, it doesn't matter right. how religious or non-religious it is. But if you're conscious about it, like about the drive, you're like, I'm not going to be angry during this drive that it's so long or 
whatever, I'm going to be like, no, this is part of my journey. I'm going to like leave. Somebody taught me years ago, and I've done it many times now since. They're like, when you're about two blocks away from home, stop your truck and just open the open the driver's door and just pretend like all your cares and worries of your city life are pouring out of the truck into the gutter and down the drain. Right. And uh, so, again, that's just like... It's just it's it's just another thing of being conscious and deliberate about it on the, in the process. Sure, Trey and I were just talking about that too. The the trips to our family cabin in, in Minnesota. When I was a young man, those were stressful trips. Those you know you have to do all the packing and all those other kinds of things. And then as time went by, it, sometimes it was just trips with me and, and the kids, and it was less stressful. But you know. Trey would tell you that that's where he was introduced to Gordon Lightfoot because oh dad was yeah. listening to Gordon Lightfoot. And like that, those, I, I feel so blessed as a, to be so, I was like six or seven and I was, that's, those are the times that I remember the most. I don't remember being in the cabin as much, but like on the way up having seven of us in the car. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> listen, I know yeah. exactly what we listened to. And yeah. I'm, I can name 10 songs. Like, because Everything those become to, because so. those become rituals, right? right. Yeah, they become rituals in your life, and it's you know it's it's part of the genius of religion that it ritualizes aspect of aspects of our lives mm-hmm. as human beings, and it, it 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 makes us cognizant of the way that God is moving in the world. But it's not restricted to religion. Like mm-hmm. we can ritualize other s- seemingly mundane aspects of our lives, right? Um, and and make them meaningful. A sunrise. That's right. Yeah. Again, being yeah. conscious about, about yeah, it being or, or whatever. Yeah, and being like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not just gonna walk by the sunrise. I'm gonna take it in. And, right. Yeah. That's right. right. The sounds. That's, that's that. a that's a trick I've made to because I've had trips that, like weekend trips that, fly by like that. Yeah. And I think being extra conscious about everything makes it last so much longer, and it, well, mentally, but it makes it seem like it's lasting so much longer, and you enjoy so much more, and you remember so much more. Yeah. And that's. Yeah. That's something I take in everywhere I go. Absolutely. Even this weekend. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, uh, Tony, you are an accomplished author, and you have a new book coming out, The God of Wild Places. Tell us about that. Yeah, my past books have all been, um, I have a PhD in theology. I've written, I've written several theological texts. I've written books on prayer and the Christian life and stuff like this. Youth ministry was my first couple books were about youth ministry. Um, I, it's been a while since I wrote a book. My last book came out in 2015, so it's been a long time. This book is basically, for all intents and purposes, my memoir of how I survived the trauma of the personal stuff I've already talked about and how, um, how the outdoors really ministered to me in the midst of that. And uh, there are chapters. It's not like a memoir in that this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It's it's a book that's thematic. So there's um, a chapter on finding peace. There's a chapter on the importance of place about my lake cabin. Like you probably would be of your lake cabin. I've been going there since I was a kid. My grandpa bought it in 1964. You know, hand built the first cabin on that land. Wow, does that very, sound familiar, Trey? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. And so, and now I, I I hunt that land, and I'm kind of the family caretaker of that land. So it's just like it's my spiritual home. But I also have, um, I also have chapters in there. It really stuff that I never heard preached about. Or I, and I never preached about, but now I realize how important it is. Like, 
the predator-prey relationship, okay. which is like, I just think we are, the predator-prey relationship is just in our bones from like, from our ancestors. And when you hunt, you're really in touch with that. But nobody ever preaches about that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. But it's like, it is part, every time we eat meat, frankly, every time we harvest a field, you know, and, and eat, eat grain or eat vegetables, we're, we're part of this cycle of predator and prey. And, you know, ultimately, we're each going to die and we're going to be absorbed back into right. the earth. And then out of our hummus will grow new things. And, you know, so um, I, 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 I learned spiritual lessons in the outdoors that I did not learn in church. So part of the book is about that. Sure. What you're describing is the circle of life. Yeah. And I know that uh, uh, just recently, I've, I've always wanted to write, but more so along the lines of reflections and essays as opposed to a book. Uh, children's book kind of yeah. Uh, yeah. have uh, uh, had my interest for a while. But I just posted a reflection on our Unbroken Arrows Healing Through the Hunt uh, website. And it's a reflection of um, faith, family, friends, football, and pheasants. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it kind of goes through a, a cycle or a path for me in terms of uh, where I was when I was young as opposed to where I am now. And, and even though there's no way to describe all the different turns uh, that, that took place, but the most important thing, I think, and, and I think I hear you saying something similar, is finding a faith. Faith is so important. I don't care what denomination or religion you're talking about. You look at a sunrise, it's hard not to realize that there's a greater power, a sunset. Um, listening to the power behind the wind or the waves. Uh, observing a squirrel, you know. I don't. I don't really care what it is that that you want to describe. Um, I think it's easy to see in nature, in the outdoors, that there's a there's a more powerful force there, and that's faith, and that's something that can grow. So. Yeah, I, I think no, you're right. No real question yeah, there, I yeah, guess, no. but, you know, I'm just kind I, of philosophizing. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it, and I think you're right. I mean, I do think that um, it's so funny. It just makes me think of, like, um, the my publishing house, the, the publishing company that's publishing my book, they sent me some marketing copy that they were going to post online or whatever, and, and it was something like this... You know, it's a, it, this is a memoir about a loss of faith. And I wrote them back and I'm like, no, because of course, I mean, God bless them, but m m those marketing people, they don't read every book that they're marketing. Right. They can't. They can't right. possibly read every book that they're marketing. So I was like, actually, my book's not really about a loss of faith. It's about an evolution of my faith or a turn in my faith or a change in my faith that I, I still have a faith. You might even call it a crisis of faith, but it was it's not a loss of faith. It's just a, a change of faith. And I think a lot of us, I mean, a lot of people, even people who stay inside of organized religion, their faith changes over time. I mean, right. it's um, human. 
I, I mean, I, I on my podcast, I use a curse word. I, I won't, uh, out of respect to your podcast, but crap happens mm-hmm. in our lives, you know? And it gives us a different perspective on, I don't know, who God is and how God works in the world. I mean, when, when stuff goes south in your life, it, it does cause you to to reflect and, and, and change your perspective. So that's, I think you're right. I think faith is essential and um, having, I guess, being open to how that, what you call it, God, you call it power, you call it nature, how that is working in your life. Again, back to being conscious of it, being like, are you open to the ways that you're learning and changing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And? We could go back to what we started talking about with regard to relationships. Yeah, that's you know? right. And, yeah. and that's that's the basis behind it all, really. Yeah. And so, well, Tony, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to stop by and visit. I, I would I'd like to think that we might be able to be in contact down the road. Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, purchasing your book and reading it. Thank you. And uh, I, I think that... Uh, the pursuit or pursuing the meaning uh, of pursuing the meaning of life in the outdoors yeah. is such a very important thing to do for all of us. Thanks. And it doesn't it doesn't have to be pheasant hunting. No, it, it could be taking a walk. Yeah, bird watching, heck, playing. You know. Uh, pickleball. Yeah. So, well, I don't golf. know about pickleball. <laughs> I don't know about pickleball. Maybe <laughs> golf, but I don't know about pickleball. Yeah, Nothing God, more pretty God. than a golf course at 7 a.m. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's true. If I understand it, uh, your book, The God of Wild Places, will be coming out in April. Is that correct? That's right, even though I have a few copies here at oh, uh, Pheasant oh, Fest. Okay. I'll get you one, but uh, yeah, April 2 okay. is the release date. And uh, if somebody's listening to our podcast and is interested in um, purchasing that book or any of your other materials yeah. that you have already written, uh, how do they do that? Godofwildplaces.com will take you to my website. That's the book, and it'll you can link over to all the other books. But yeah, uh, you can find the book there, hardcover. Ebook and an audio book will all be out on April 2nd. Okay. Awesome. Well, Tony, thank you. Thanks for having appreciate me, guys. It. Really appreciate it. Glad, uh, love what you're doing. And I, I honestly think the future of hunting, frankly, is going to be more and more people who are interested in finding meaning in the hunt and healing in the hunt. Well, thank you. Appreciate those words. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks.